the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News. This is Dr. Relly Nadler. Dr. Kathy Greenberg is on the line. We'll bring her in in just a minute. And... We have helped, between Kathy and myself, thousands of leaders and executives perform in the top 10%. We're excited today because on our show we're going to uh, feature Robert Thomas. And the show is really about how your experiences and defining moments as an individual, as a leader, um, can help shape you who you are as a leader. Robert J. Thomas is the executive director of Accenture Institute for High Performance Business based in Boston, Massachusetts, and the John... Galvin Professor of Leadership at the Fletcher School of International Affairs at Tufts University. He is also the co-author with Warren Bennis of Geeks and Geezers, How Era Values and Defining Moments Shape Leaders, and we'll get him to speak a little bit about that. But he's also the author of a just-released uh, book, Crucibles of Leadership, How to Learn from Experience to Be a Great Leader. Kathy and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and we always want to provide you with evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And Kathy, welcome to the call. Hello. We um, have a great show today. I'm very excited to have not only a great author um, and a uh, thought leader uh, in the area of executive development, but also a friend, Bob Thomas. So uh, I'm very excited today. We know that leaders are the heartbeat of any organization and that most leaders almost always underestimate just how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams tend to underperform. And just doing a few things differently can drastically improve your performance and your organization's performance. And what you'll learn in all of our shows are how to develop more leaders in your organization and what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence, and positive psychology strategies, and we're going to talk about some of those today. We talk about brain and neuroscience contributions, generation and gender differences, which we're also going to talk about today with Bob Thomas, and, of course, work-life balance practices, strategies for managing your boss, self-management tools, plus many more tools and great tips that we hope you'll be using on a regular basis. As Relly said, uh, today we have Bob Thomas. Um, he is, as Relly said, an executive director of the Institute for High Performance in Business at Accenture, and they are based in Boston. He's also uh, the John R. Galvin Professor of Leadership at the Fletcher School of International Affairs at Tufts University. And Relly, um, you talked a little bit about uh, Bob's writing. He he obviously does a great deal of writing, teaching, and consults in the area of leadership and organization design and transformational change. Um, he's co-authored several award-winning books, one of which is with Warren Bennis, obviously Geeks and Geezers, which is one of the books on generation and gender differences, which we'll explore today. And he um, he's also written a brand-new book, which came out 
I believe, in March on the 24th, and I know he's still celebrating the great launch of this book called Crucibles of Leadership, How to Learn from Experiences to Be a Great Leader. And um, he uh, has published several articles um, on change with Harvard Business Review, Harvard Management Update, and Fortune Magazine. And he's currently also a co-author uh, with some other folks uh, from Accenture, including Peter Cheese and Elizabeth Craig. Um, and the title of that is The Talent-Powered Organization. And we know how much talent management and strengths management are so important in today's um, organizational dynamics. And it's one of the first systematic efforts to chart a strategy for talent management in the global enterprise. Um, his first major book, What Machines Can't Do, Politics and Technology in the Industrial Enterprise, won the 1994 C. Wright Mills Award of the Society for the Study of Social Problems. Um, he's an Eagle Scout whose uh, upbringing in Central California left him with a lifelong passion for fast cars and fresh vegetables. He lives in Brookline, Massachusetts with his wife, Rosanna. Hmm. He um, He's just a terrific guy, and uh, he has a wonderful daughter named Melissa, and we welcome you. And I know before we get you on here, I think Riley has a couple more comments to make. Yeah, Kathy, thank you. Uh, before we bring Bob on, we like to always just give some of the evidence based about leadership development. Why are we talking so much uh, about leaders? Why are leaders so important? Well, leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. And I'm sure uh, between Bob and Kathy and myself, we know some leaders who've had as much as 90% influence over the team. They really are what we call the heartbeat or the emotional thermostat for the team. And the key to being a star performer is someone being in the top 10%. And to be in the top 10%, uh, we know that emotional intelligence is one of the key factors that allow someone to move in the top 10%, especially when you compare it to um, IQ or technical expertise, emotional intelligence is the key factor that leads to someone being a top 10%. We also know that you can increase your performance by as much as 77% while increasing life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% with coaching. You can increase profit by creating coaching networks inside your company in just one day, and studies have shown that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. And if we can get do a few things differently and get leaders into the top 10%. We know leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue for the organization as managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And if you have training alone, training can help uh, produce, uh, make a jump in productivity as much as 22%. But if you add training and coaching, that jump goes from 22% to about 88%. So we hope the listeners will get a few micro-initiatives, few things they can do differently that can lead to a macro-impact. If you're interested in more information about uh, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. If you're interested uh, in more information about me, Dr. Riley Nadler, uh, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And Kathy, you want to bring on Bob and we'll start our questions? I sure do. I um, I cannot tell you again how excited I am to have Bob on the show. We met almost a decade ago at Accenture and he has gone on to create a huge impact globally on this organization as director of the Accenture Institute for High Performance Business. Bob, welcome to the show. 
Thanks very much. And after saying all those nice things about me, <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> well, we know they're true. That's why we're allowed to say them in public. Relly, do you yes. want to get yeah. on here with some questions, uh, so or would you like me to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the first one. So we know um, in some of your work it's really looking at, you know, influences in people's life, and I think some of the books as we talk about this tie into <clears throat> people's influences uh, in their life, how that leads to leadership. But what have been some of your key influences in your life that may have led you to some of the successes you've had today? Well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question because as I look back over my career, which has been in both research and in consulting, and, and I've had a lot of influ- lot of influences from from a number of different quarters. But I would have to say that among the most important were were two gentlemen who I got to know in geez, in my uh, early twenties. Uh, uh, one of whom was Cesar Chavez, who at that time was the the head of the United Farm Workers Union, and and someone who worked very closely for him was Ernesto Laredo, who had headed up a uh, a tenants union for uh, low income farm workers based in uh, Tulare County, California. They were extraordinarily influential on me. And in what way were they influential? I mean, what, what were some of the things that you learned from them, or kind of you're using today? Well, I think probably most important was uh, the, the extraordinary amount of confidence that they placed in the people who worked with and for them. It was never a question that uh, uh, people needed to have intelligence and they needed to have uh, desire, but what was the most powerful motivating force was the, the confidence that they gave us uh, to, to go out and do great things. Okay, so some of just that, that empowerment and uh, really appreciating who, who the talent is and making sure you're using that talent. Precisely. You know, uh, one of the things I wanted you to talk a little bit about, uh, Bob, and I don't mean to so drastically change the conversation, but having been influenced um, so, uh, I want to say, impactfully uh, by these gentlemen, how is it that you came from that experience uh, to lead um, this particular Institute for High Performance Business at Accenture? Well, you know, it was really quite interesting. I've always had a great love of ideas and, and the way in which ideas can, can change the world, the way they can energize and, and invigorate uh, people and, and, and even stagnant organizations. My original uh, thought about how it is I was going to, to work with ideas and work in the world of ideas was uh, as an academic. So I got a Ph.D. in sociology from Northwestern and went on to teach first in a sociology department and then in business school, ultimately uh, at uh, MIT in the Sloan School of Management. And even though I, I loved it enormously, I found myself continuously chafing with uh, the fact that it was, it was ideas and, uh, by themselves, not ideas and action. And so I, I kind of made it a choice after having been very successful as an academic to, to take a leap and go into the world of, of business and management, and particularly in the management consulting, with the idea that, that uh, if my thoughts, my insights were any good, uh, they ought to work out in practice. And if they didn't work out in practice, well, that's more learning for me. So I left uh, MIT and went to work in uh, for Accenture. And in many ways, it's been the move back and forth between uh, the world of ideas and the world of action that has provided me with not only great opportunities to learn, but probably more importantly, uh, great opportunities to lead in a, in a very fast-paced uh, environment with with lots and lots of smart people who are, if you will, um, you know, creative artists in and of themselves. So helping helping a group of creative people do something together has been a, a huge challenge for me and. And something I think I've had a modicum of success, but I'm continuing to learn. 
So uh, with that, Bob, I think uh, some of the things that I'm attracted to in your work is sounds like putting together some of the kind of the life experiences, you know, you coming from academics into the business uh, organizational world. Um, and let me ask you, you know, about these life experiences. Why do you think there are such good building blocks? And I know sometimes uh, people may come from the academic world or they come from the technical expertise like we talked about before. But, you know, how do you, how do you integrate or how do you see these life experiences uh, as being critical for someone in, in leadership position? Well, it's a really good point because, in fact, most of what I did while as an academic was making sure that we had uh, uh, statistical validity, representative samples. We we had lots and lots of data to back up any kind of an assertion or conclusion that we made. But one of the things that I knew from from working with with real leaders and real aspiring leaders in organizations is that while they want to have the data to back up their uh, decisions, they've also got to be able to act on the basis of what they feel is right. And quite often when you press them, people would say, well, let me tell you about a story from my experience. Mm. And in many ways, what I came to discover, both by way of the consulting work I was doing and with the book I did with Warren Bennis, was that it turns out that experience is an absolutely critical shaper uh, of individuals as leaders. Uh, and in fact, when, when I asked people to, to tell me about a time in which they learned something important about being a leader, about leadership, not something that perhaps that had been forced on them, but something that they'd, they'd learned through life practice. Almost invariably, they would tell stories of moments in time or of relationships that had a profound impact on them. Uh, more often than not, they were times of adversity, sometimes of great success. But we came to call these crucible experiences. And what I meant by crucible experience is that often it's a, it's a test of who you are. Do you know yourself very well? Do you know what it is you want to accomplish in your life? Do you know what it is that you think people are capable of? Well, you know what, Bob? We're going to come right back to that idea and talk about influential experiences after we take this break from Leadership Development News. Line in Business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's 
That's what Flicky does! Said the second. Let's look for a swing set! Said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I open as leaky windows! Cried the first energy hog. I open as leaky doors! Cried the second. I open as the bathroom! Cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadylocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. This is Ed Hanway, CEO of Cigna Corporation. Join us in celebrating all babies, those born healthy, and those who need help to survive. Go to marchofdimes.com and tell your special baby's story. Read other stories, too. And while you're there, learn how you can help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and give babies a healthy start. What a wonderful way to celebrate babies. Marchofdimes.com Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll free at 1 866 472 5790. That number again is 1 866 472 5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome to Leadership Development News. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Robert Thomas uh, online. Just before the break, we were talking about these uh, moments of, of time, times of adversity, and I was mentioning how uh, in my 20s I had worked for Outward Bound programs, and some of you listeners are familiar with that. It was really built on your adversity is your opportunity. How do you put people into experiences that will help them grow? And I, and I think, Bob, you left off talking about what are some of those experiences many times of adversity that people have had that really have become maybe foundations for who they are as leaders. Well, it's true. And it, when, when we would ask people to tell us uh, stories about times when they learned important things about leadership, uh, quite often the stories would be times of, of great trial and test. I mean, losing a, a parent at an early age, um, finding yourself suddenly in a position of authority on the battlefield, but it could also be somewhat sublime, a young man moving from being a student of karate to, to being an instructor in order to continue his evolution, or, or a young woman discovering that um, uh, saving water requires her to, to, uh, to change the way she and her family operate, and, and, and out of that seeing the opportunity to, to create an organization that, that eight-year-olds could be active in. The, the key in all of this is, is, is really two lessons that get learned. One is that there's a lesson about leadership, and sometimes those lessons are, are, are profound, uh, but sometimes they're, they're quite mundane. And the kind of thing you, you would learn in, a, in, a, in, in reading any book or having somebody advise you. you know, don't, don't forget about the people who work with you. you know, be sure and be a good listener, things of that sort. Uh, profound to the individual, but probably not earth-shattering in terms of their newness. 
But the second lesson, which was in many respects a lesson about learning, turns out to be the most powerful lesson, which is to say that when I'd really press people and say, okay, I understand that you learned something important there, but now tell me, why did you learn in that experience? What was unique about that? What were the, the people and the associations and relationships and the resources that you had available to you that you think made that such a memorable experience? Because, in fact, one of the things that, that became of greatest interest to me was uh, two people could have identical experience, one of whom could come away with it with a profound insight, and the other could come away uh, without anything at all, conceivably, or just happy to have survived. So what distinguishes those people who learn from experience, who, who if you will, suck the marrow out of experience for insight uh, versus those who don't? And it's from there that the book, Crucibles of a Leadership, really began uh, to grow, because Bennis and I had, had discovered this notion of, of crucible-defining moments, and what I was keen to understand was, how do people learn from those experiences? What distinguishes those people who learn from those who don't? You know, Bob, as you're talking, I would love to, to get into a little bit about the, the book itself, but I want to start um, a little more slowly for those people who are listening to give them some more of the concepts. Because as you uh, and Raleigh and I all know, good building blocks are what make for good leaders. Can you talk a little bit about how life experiences such as these good, if you will, kind of learning crucibles become good building blocks for leaders? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, You know, it's rarely experienced by itself. I mean, Aldous Huxley said something wonderful many years ago, and he said, it's not experience so much that matters, it's what you make of experience that matters. And so part of it is, is what's your orientation to the world? Are you the kind of person who, who loves to learn new things? Are you, are you capable of having some, some fairly strongly felt ideas and yet still question their assumptions, things that underlie them? And that's one of the most important things, it turns out, from the perspective of, of these learning leaders, is that they, they're really open to learning. That, that's a core building block. Uh, but I'm also reminded of something that John MacArthur, who was uh, very famously the dean of the Harvard Business School, said to me not too long ago when talking about a, a speech that he gave at his own retirement party. He said at the very outset, he, he reminded everyone in the audience of something that his mother had told him at an early age, which is if you ever see a, a, a turtle sitting on a fence, you know, one that you should know one thing for sure, he didn't get there by himself. And so the, the question is, is, who else can you enlist? Who else can you mobilize um, to help you make sense of, to help you build from, learn the resilience that's required in order to really make the most of experiences around you? And indeed, what I said at the very outset about the people who had the most influence on me uh, as a leader and the way in which I think about leadership roles and, and learning to lead were, were two people who uh, throughout their lives were consummate learners, people who always had their eyebrows arched in surprise, questioning assumptions, questioning their own assumptions, and forever learning new things. But paradoxically, perhaps, uh, also very, very sure about some things that they knew, quite often things about themselves, about their aspirations, uh, about their motivations. These are the things, I think, that, that constitute the most important building blocks for not only becoming an effective leader, but staying an effective leader as the world changes around you. So, Bob, you, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, really important stuff just there, questioning assumptions, open to learning, um, but then in the same side, being confident and open to things. I know in the leaders that, that we deal with, um, that idea of questioning assumptions at the same time of being confident and having a strong opinion, it's almost kind of that dance uh, 
that someone has to do between having all the answers and then questioning in their own assumptions about things. Well, absolutely right. And, you know, one of the most powerful and influential, and, and I think in some respects least understood theories of leadership that are out there is something referred to as situational leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fundamentally what it says is that you have to be able to read a situation and people in order to know how to, to most effectively respond and lead. But the challenge I have always found in that is that uh, it's it's kind of like the chameleon, uh, the paradox of the chameleon, which is that if you if you're capable of changing your coloration to match the environment around you, what color are you when there is no background color? Right. Uh, and in that respect, the thing that that so deeply impressed me, both in, in the interviewing the younger and older leaders that uh, Beniston and I did for Geeks and Geezers, and then for the 150 or so uh, accomplished leaders in business and, and government and in the social sector that I interviewed for Crucibles of Leadership, the thing that they shared in common was an appetite for learning, which is their ability and willingness to learn new things, coupled with a very strong foundation uh, of self-knowledge, which is, I'm pretty sure I know some things about what I stand for and equally important, some things about myself. And in fact, one of the things that, that encouraged me to to step out a bit, if you will, away from the traditional literature on leadership uh, and leader development in crucibles on leadership was looking at how it is that, that truly outstanding leaders resemble in so many ways uh, outstanding performers in, in many different fields, not the least of which being in the performing arts. And it's something I'd love to talk about, but, but in a way it's this, this, this core of knowing yourself uh, actually enables you to be a more effective learner than somebody who says, you know, I know the world, I know how things work, uh, and oh, by the way, I refuse to, to question my own assumptions. Bob, in looking um, back at uh, how you went into interviewing these geeks and geezers, let's just, um, for the audience's sake, give them a little framework. The geeks were the up-and-coming leaders of the future, um, about age 35 or younger, and I believe the geezers were people who were known entities, proven entities, individuals who we might call mentors for those who were um, in the field uh, coming up behind them, and these were individuals who were generally 70 or older. Is that accurate? That's correct. You know, th- go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so uh, given that that assumption and framework is, is true, how, how could some of the different motivations um, that you addressed in the book um, be discussed here on the radio in a way that would allow the listeners to understand what you actually got from those differences in motivations? Well, it's it's a very important point because the, the geeks, the young men and women who grew up digital uh, uh, under the age of 35, uh, by contrast to our geezers, and we use the term with, with all endearment, so it's not intended to be negative at all, uh, leaders who are over the age of 70, um, you know, they, they, they differ in some in, in enormously important respects. Uh, Bennis and I use the, the notion of era uh, by comparison to generation. Because one of the things we were keenly interested in was looking at all the influences that would shape uh, an individual, particularly in their the maturing years, say 15 to 25, uh, that perhaps wouldn't necessarily be immediately a product of, of their family environment or their or their school environment, uh, but would nonetheless have an influence. And and 
influence probably not just on on day to day behavior but aspirations. So if you compare growing up in in 1946 to 1950, where most of our uh, our geezers did, by comparison to 1991 to, to 1998 for most of the geeks, those are hugely different eras, different moments in time. Uh, so not surprisingly, when we pressed uh, both groups to talk about the, their definitions of success uh, for the geeks at the age of 25, where most of them were, and the geezers recollecting back to where they were at the age of 25, some profound differences emerged. Uh, for the young people uh, in 1946 to 1955 or thereabouts, the big concern was st- stability, uh, establishing themselves in a career getting a good job with good pay in order to be able to, to set their families out on, on a good start in life. Um, having, if you will, made investments that allowed you to be able to climb up the ladder, whether it's corporate or governmental, um, paying your dues. Whereas by contrast, for the 25-year-olds in 1990s or so, uh, the view was, no, the, the goal is to change the world. I mean, I want to own a company. I want to be able to grow a company. I want to be able to make a fortune. I want to be able to retire uh, at an early age and, and set about uh, changing the, the part of the world that I haven't changed with my business. Hugely different aspirations. Well, you know what we're going to do when we come back from this break? We're going to talk about some of the challenges you see today in leadership development given the different motivations of generations that we see that are now coming behind those generations as the millennials, the Xers, and the boomers. So we'll talk about that when we come back to Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I gotta deliver these sandwiches. 
Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Hi, this is Dr. Rowan Adler, Leadership Development News, Dr. Kathy Greenberg. We're talking with Dr. Bob Thomas. And just before the break, we're talking about some of the research, some of the things from your book, uh, Geeks and Geezers. And we wanted to talk about some of that information. There's so much that we can talk about, um, that how you may be using that at Accenture Institute you know, for high-performance business. We'd like to maybe talk about how you were addressing some of these challenges to make it more actionable, and then maybe we'll end up talking about your, your new book, Crucibles and Leadership. So, you know, what are some of the things that you, that's going on at the uh, uh, Century Institute that may be trying to bring some actions to some of these issues? Well, it's interesting that, that you that you make that connection because that's really where I wanted to go next. The the uh, the Accenture Institute for High Performance Business is uh, a research group inside of Accenture, you know, a global management and technology and outsourcing consulting company. And we'd like to consider ourselves what I refer to as a think-and-act tank, which is we're concerned with issues and ideas that are going to be coming down the road that are going to have impact on organizations, individuals, in the next year to three years. And our responsibility is to try and wrestle that to the ground and figure out what the implications are going to be. So if you take the research that I've been doing, one of the things that comes out of it is is absolutely central notion of something I refer to as a personal learning strategy, which is to say, you know, for all the kinds of things that you can point to that, that leaders need to have in terms of capabilities, whether it's decisiveness or vision or, or what have you, at the end of the day, um, most leaders get to be good leaders, if not great leaders, through practice. Uh, and what I mean by that is, not unlike the discussion I, uh, earlier of experience and learning from experience, is that great leaders turn out, in fact, to be, like great performers, um, dedicated to practice. Mm. Practice meaning that they're continuously refining and enhancing their skills. Uh, so the skills that are essential to become a great leader uh, are knowable. Um, Mastering any one of those skills by themselves won't make you a great leader any more than practicing with a deck of cards will make you a great magician. It's the capacity to be able to to master the underlying skills and then to combine them seemingly effortlessly, almost at will, in response to conditions or circumstances that really distinguishes the great leader from from somebody who's uh, uh, just a modest talent. And so practice becomes critical. So it turns out, that when I talk to not only terrific leaders, people like Brad Anderson, the CEO of, of uh, Best Buy, you know, who shepherded that company from $40 million in sales to, to $40 billion in sales, or Mike Eskew, who was uh, recently retired as CEO of UPS, or Mickey Siebert, uh, the, the woman that first owned the, the seat on the, um, on the New York Stock Exchange, and grew Siebert Financial Network. The thing that kept coming back to with them was this notion that there are certain basic things you need to do well. 
uh, and you need to practice them. And if you don't have time to practice in the conventional sense of going offline and practicing uh, speaking in front of a mirror, you have to be able to learn how to practice while you perform. Practicing while you perform is something that, that Broadway actors or dancers and musicians know very well, which is that they're capable of seeing themselves in action. Uh, they get uh, a certain amount of distance between themselves and the action so that they can experiment, they can adjust, they can adapt, they can listen at the same time that, that, they're, that they're speaking. So this notion of a personal learning strategy really has three parts to it. One piece is knowing what you stand for, knowing what motivates you, knowing what your best learning style is. The second part is 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 having a sense of, of what are the, the skills you need to be able to grasp and, and practicing them continuously. Um, and the third part is identifying circumstances, opportunities for you to test what you know uh, against the world. So in the Institute, one of the things that we've been doing is to say, how can we take that down into a form that people can practice and, and get their minds around and develop as a, a tool, a set of instruments for themselves very quickly, um, so it becomes not unlike, if you uh, if you will, the the kind of regimen that a that a beginning golfer or a musician or anyone with an avocation has to acquire. And so the institute's role in that has been to to devise uh, workshops, uh, tools, and methods that one can use in their own uh, to enhance the individual sense that I've got a mission. Uh, that mission is to develop myself as a leader. There's a concrete set of things that I can practice in order to improve my performance. And life continuous, continuously throws at me opportunities to practice in order to be able to enhance my performance. Now, the interesting thing about that is that that is one half of a critical equation that I'm afraid far too often gets ignored in organizations as they think about developing the next generation of leaders. That is, organizations will put together a great management or leader development program They'll offer all kinds of training opportunities, mentoring and rotational assignments and the like, but somehow they fail to establish a compact with individuals where the individual has got a huge responsibility uh, to study and understand themselves, what it is that they aspire to be, what it is that they need to practice and to dedicate themselves to practice. And organizations can provide resources, mentors, coaching, and opportunities for them to practice. But in the absence of that compact, that agreement between the individual and the organization, and in the absence of an individual recognizing that he or she has a huge responsibility they have to take on themselves, then leader development falters. It fails to, to gain momentum. That, that flywheel effect fails to take in place. You know, as you're talking, um, I, I can't help but think of the opportunity that um, every every individual no matter what generation they're from, has in an organization today to learn not only in a formal sense but in an informal sense. And what you just said was the personal learning strategy, knowing what you stand for, what you need in terms of your your learning style and then opportunities to practice it. You can do that even on an informal basis, whether or not you're part of a formal organization leadership development process. How do you feel about that? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, when we ask people about the times in which they learn important things about leadership, only half the time do they refer to something happening at work or in a professional work setting. More often than not, the stories were told about, well, um, being involved in a volunteer organization, uh, being involved in a family, being involved in a community, or losing an election for, for a city council. 
these are the times and moments that people said they learn important things about leadership. So, one, it's not restricted just to work. And second is that people have an extraordinary wealth of experiences both on and off the job that for all kinds of reasons we don't pay much attention to. It's kind of like money left on the table. Case in point, uh, I spent some time talking with uh, the chief leadership officer at the Girl Scouts. And, you know, the Girl Scouts is a hugely successful leader development program historically. But one of the challenges that they face is that their demography is changing. Their membership base is changing. One of the things that they learn for the girls who don't currently belong to the Girl Scouts is that while they would love to belong, that they kind of feel uncomfortable with the fact that most leaders are somebody else's mom. And so the question became, can we get other women to be leaders in these Girl Scout troops? Turned out, in fact, to be the case that, that quite a few business organizations uh, would like to advance and promote training for women as managers, but don't often have as many opportunities or as many uh, experiences as they possibly could put in front of them. And here was a great opportunity for synergy, where young women uh, who could be terrific role models to, to young women who want to learn uh, are given the opportunity to be leaders in the Girl Scouts uh, at the same time that they're able to apply what they've learned at work. Outstanding. Great example. So, Bob, I have a, a question. I think you know both Kathy and I, it sounds like yourself, are in organizations doing training. What kind of methods have you found for practice? And I love the promoting practice like you are. We all know about kind of key athletes now. It's the uh, basketball playoff time just about, and, and you always hear about a Kobe Bryant or other key people. They're the ones who are practicing the most, probably the ones who need it the least, practice the most, and, you know, because they're always perfecting their game. But in a, in a leadership development training, what, like how do people practice? Like, is there role plays? Is it breakouts? Is it, you know, kind of a combination of kind of processing and experience that they've already had? Well, it's it's a combination of all those things, but the probably the the uh, you know the least well used ones are are simply making every day an experimental opportunity, every day a practice field. You know, the fact is that much of what managers do in organizations is talk. Uh, they obviously are engaged in problem solving and helping set up directions and agenda, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not working with their hands for the most part. They're talking with people. Well, if one of the things you're doing on a daily day basis is talking with people, you get tremendous opportunities to practice varying the way in which you talk, the varying the questions that you ask, varying the way in which you listen. No one else besides you need know that you're practicing. And the opportunities, therefore, are, are truly enormous. They're uh, outstanding in terms of uh, their variety and, and their, the, the ways in which they can be used. But the fact is that, that most people don't recognize that as a practice field. And so, in a sense, uh, in much the same way that if you watch a Tiger Woods, uh, as I was watching very closely over the course of this weekend at the, at the, uh, uh, the Masters Tournament, um, he's swinging the club even when he's not, it's not his turn. He's constantly maneuvering and manipulating his body so that he's simulating the thing he wants to do well. And in fact, having talked with Tiger about his experience, one of the things that he made very clear is that he has gotten to the point where he can adjust in mid-swing. And not because he has some super, uh, superior talent. Uh, in fact, he, he downplays his native talent. What he points to, as Kathy pointed out, is that he's gotten to where he is, he is by practicing more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. It's amazing how we can take the arts, sports, uh, the Girl Scouts, all these, as you're saying, crucibles of experience that become crucibles of leadership. 
Can we t- let's go back a little bit to the book, um, and let me give this back to the listeners. Crucibles of Leadership, How to Learn from Experience to Be a Great Leader um, is your brand-new book, and let's talk a little bit about how you got the idea for the book. Oh, sounds like we're going to be talking about that as soon as we come back from our break. This is Leadership Development News, and we're interviewing Dr. Robert Thomas. We'll be right back. Bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Bob Thomas. And, Bob, just before we uh, went to the break, we were talking about um, some of the key learning aspects. And then during the break, you were saying there's a few things you want to talk about that will actually tie us into uh, your new book, you know, Crucibles of Leadership. So, yeah, you know, I, 
Thank you. There's actually two things I wanted to, to, to point out. One was many years ago, not that many, but enough. I, w- I was at uh, City Center in New York, and I had the opportunity to uh, to watch Twyla Tharp, who's just an extraordinary choreographer and dancer. She choreographed Hair, and it's first instantiation as a play on Broadway. Um, she was giving a, a master class where, in effect, she was preparing her, her uh, dance company for an upcoming performance. And I watched and with fascination because one of the greatest uh, interests I've had is how do you lead very creative people, people who have a, a very strong sense of, of who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. How do you get them to do something together, uh, in this case, dancers to a dance? And after watching the, 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 uh, the company practice, I, I had the opportunity to ask her a question. I said, so tell me, what's the difference between practice and performance? And she looked at me like a, uh, you know, it was a, a bit of a, a neophyte as I, as I am when it comes to the world of dance. And she said, you know, uh, we don't see a real difference between practice and performance. When, when we're practicing, we're thinking all the time about performance. And when we perform, we're noticing things that we practiced or, or need to practice more. So I don't know about you, but I don't make a distinction between performance and practice. Well, if you talk to professional athletes, whether it's in the National Football League or in the, the pro golf tournament uh, circus, you see something very similar, which is that there is this kind of seamless whole that they think about. Uh, they practice and they perform. And so if you don't have time to practice, uh, you have to learn how to practice in the midst of performance. And that was a hugely powerful thought for me. It got me to thinking about how it is that the people who have accomplished extraordinary things as leaders, particularly in very different kinds of circumstances, uh, you know, people like Mickey Seabird or Sidney Harmon or uh, Larry Bacow, who's the president of Tufts University, how they make transitions from one kind of organization to another, how they deal with circumstances that change very dramatically, come to recognize in talking with them that they do have a concept of practice and they do have a concept of how it is that you practice while you perform. The second piece, which was something that occurred to me in one of my first uh, real practical assignments as as a leader of a major change effort uh, inside of an organization, uh, was recognizing that so much of what I had to do uh, was to to keep the the level of confidence, the the level of optimism, the the level of of clarity and focus in the group that I was leading, even though we didn't know whether or not we'd be successful in the undertaking that we we'd uh, we'd taken on. And recognizing that in many respects, uh, I was, again, being not unlike Twyla Tharp, uh, helping to create, to give birth to something that, that had not previously existed, but which absolutely uh, depended upon uh, the creative energies of a group of people who uh, each one of them themselves was capable of, of being an effective leader. So the reason why I, I bring these two stories together is that it, it strikes me that even though uh, we talk a lot about leaders as, as performing artists and having responsibilities to, uh, to lead in a, in a very uh, rapidly changing world, we really don't learn as much as we can from uh, the, the world of performing art and, and about how it is that, that truly outstanding performers continue to evolve uh, their skill set, their, uh, their aspirations, their ambitions over the course of their lives. So as a matter of fact, one of the things that I found felt best about in the, the book I did with Warren Bennis uh, with Geeks and Geezers or the older leaders was that the, at the age of 50 plus, uh, they were saying to me, you know, kid, uh, you still got a lot of things to learn. <laughs> and, and that to me was, was a, a great source of inspiration. And that really brought me back to this notion of, of what's your personal learning strategy. And let me tell one quick story to, to kind of highlight this. 
I had the opportunity to interview Eric Clapton, who, as you know, is an oh. you know, extraordinary yeah. uh, uh, guitarist. Uh, he has a new autobiography on it, as a matter of fact, that I think is, is terrific reading. I'll be a reader, uh, a reading for every leader you know. And the reason why I found him so fascinating was because he made an admission to me in the course of the interview that of all the things that he regretted, regretted looking back over his life and you know the kind of pleasure pursuits that he that he t- undertook. He said one of the things that he regretted most was that as a young man uh, he never sought out coaching or uh, instruction in guitar. He felt he was so smart he didn't need uh, anyone else's guidance. And afterwards came to discover that he had spent tremendous amount of creative energy inventing. Uh, practical techniques that had been around for decades, and afterwards felt like you know this this was a huge insight for him that that in order for him to continue to learn, uh, he had to almost submit himself uh, to the tutelage, to the guidance, to the mentorship of others, to seek out others who were players like himself, but not with the notion that somehow the, every opportunity to jam was going to be a, a contest, but rather it was going to be an opportunity to learn. And what I found fascinating is, is how infrequently uh, people who, who say they desire to be more effective leaders, how infrequently they actually sit down with their peers uh, and ask them how it is that they tackle common situations or to search out someone who could provide them with some measure of guidance about how to take uh, the proper amount of time to learn how to do things better. Uh, unfortunately, the part, whether it's ego or it's the, the expectations that are placed on them, so many leaders with so much future potential uh, stay stuck at a given level of development because, well, for whatever reasons, they've stopped learning. Outstanding. It's amazing, you know. We don't think often how other areas of influence in our lives can have an impact on our ability to learn something. But when you use the names of people that are such celebrity, like an Eric Clapton or a Tiger Woods, you start to get people's attention because now they can see how you can learn from others who've learned a different way outside of their area of influence. Let me ask you a couple things, Bob. We're almost at the end of our program today, and I want to make sure that we not only get our listeners in touch with you and uh, get them some information on how to get your book, but what are some of the the key learnings that you think our listeners would want to know from today's show? If you could think of the top two or three things, what are they? Well, you know, one is that while you you don't want to rely only on yourself as a source of of insight and information, I I think the fact is that experience can be, uh, particularly personal experience, can be an extraordinary source of insight and inspiration. So I would ask individuals just to think for a time uh, about a time in which they learned their most important leadership lessons, not book learning and not someone else lecturing at them, but their own personal experience, and ask really two questions. One, what did I learn? And then two, probably more importantly, uh, what did I learn about how I learn and how I learn best? The second insight, hopefully, is that practice can trump talent. Uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable to see in the, the many instances in which people have, uh, have, have learned the skills that they need and through a rigorous process of practice uh, dramatically enhance their performance. I would just say, as an aside, one of the five people I think who read Bill Clinton's autobiography end to end, one of the things that Clinton makes clear in there is that this charisma that people attach to him is something that is very much studied, uh, that he himself practices with, with, with uh, continuousness even today. 
And then finally, I think that the, the fact is that great leaders are really distinguished by their dedication to learning. But it's not just unfocused, uh, consume everything. It's with uh, a very clear strategy for how it is they learn, linking their, their own personal aspirations with their own motivations. Nobody knows that better than themselves with the, uh, an insight into how they learn best. And those three things constitute what I refer to as a personal learning strategy, which, interestingly enough, we find uh, in outstanding performers in, in virtually any field. Uh, that's really what distinguishes them from people who are good. So to go from good to great, I insist on uh, developing a personal learning strategy. Well, thank you, Bob. Uh, this has been very insightful, and uh, we'll be looking forward to getting your book, uh, Crucibles of Leadership. This has been Leadership Development News with Dr. Kathy Greenberg. I'm Dr. Riley Nadler, and we're signing off today. We'll, we'll get you back on the line again next week. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.